welcome to the Iconic Podcast. This episode was recorded live at our 2020 symposium. Each year, Icon holds an academic symposium which allows third-year students an opportunity to deliver a public talk based on their own personal research projects. In December last year, six students were selected nationally to present their research. Michael's talk was recorded live over Zoom and is entitled, An Embodied View of the Unconscious. You can read his abstract for this presentation in the episode notes. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael Shibeki. I'm a third-year student from the Bachelor of Counseling and Psychotherapy stream at ICON, and today I'll be presenting a topic based on my own research proposal entitled An Embodied View of the Unconscious. At the turn of the 20th century, in the midst of the global upheaval that would lead to some of the most bloodiest and deadliest conflicts in human history, a profound idea that could be considered equally as upending, at least psychologically, would be brought forth into the world and take root in the cultural milieu, forever changing the conceptual cartography of the mind, soul, and human spirit as we once conceived it, the theory of the unconscious. A theory that would propose that the everyday consciousness that we inhabit was nothing but the tip of a metaphorical iceberg. The human psyche reconceived as possessing vast, cavernous depths as bottomless as the sea. Theories brought forth by the likes of Genet, Freud, or Jung would, su uh, would suggest that consciousness was not uniform or singular, and that there could potentially be mental forces beyond the periphery of our conscious awareness affecting us from within our very own minds, to which we now suddenly found ourselves a relative stranger to. Freud, who would popularise and systemise the idea of the unconscious, would propose the unconscious as being akin to a living kingdom of mental processes responsive to the external world that could usurp our own agency from beneath us. Genet, whose work would inspire Freud's conceptualization of the unconscious, would propose that multiple streams of consciousness could theoretically exist within a single individual, suggesting that a multiplicity of various individual selves could exist simultaneously within a single person, such as evidence in hypnotic states in his traumatized patients. The theory of the unconscious would namely sow doubt into the minds of many around our own sense of autonomy, raising a crucial question that still echoes on to this day. Is your life really your own? It is this question that would lead me on a journey towards pursuing my own studies here at ICON and to today's topic. For myself, this question had implicitly resounded within my own consciousness before developing any kind of intellectual notion of the unconscious. Growing up in a household with a parent of a psychiatric diagnosis, I bore witness, on a regular basis, to an individual whose own mind seemed to be perpetually waging war against itself. I grew up not being particularly satisfied with the idea that there was just something wrong with her brain, as I'd been frequently told as some sort of comfort, especially as the cornucopia of medications that she would routinely cycle through seemed impotent at best and harmful at worst at least in her particular set of circumstances. I was equally perplexed to see that it was not just her mental health that seemed problematic, but her physical health too. When she did go through periods where she didn't have to blast the house down to music in order to drown out the cacophony of unpleasant voices constantly plaguing her associated with her illness, she was often bedridden with poor physical health from a compromised immune system and gastrointestinal issues. 
When she did find medication that had reduced the mental impact of the psychiatric symptoms, such as paranoia and voices, she always seemed to suffer for it physically. Going up to the doctor's office along with my mother was subsequently a weekly occurrence in her endless quest for some reprieve from both the mental and physical torment that deprived her of the capacity to live her own life and what of the potential that it may have held beyond the confines of her illness. As such, the distinction between mind and body would later seem to me as an adult to be almost transparent, as I could see for my mother that these issues that on the surface seemed disparate were in fact quite intertwined, with later research seemingly vindicating this early intuition, such as studies highlighting the gut-brain connection and the correlation of poor gut health and those of significant mental health disturbances. While the unconscious had, at the first half of the 20th century, achieved widespread significance under Freud's theory of psychoanalysis, the latter half of the century would be dominated by more cognitive behavioural models of therapy, with the unconscious soon being reperceived almost as if it was a superstitious relic of a more primitive scientific era. Today, the unconscious is largely supported by the lived reality of trauma, such as that readily witnessed in war veterans or survivors of violent assaults, which cannot be so readily explained by cognitive behavioural models. Today's predominant theories of trauma, such as espoused by leading trauma expert Bessel van der Kolk, having direct roots in Pierre Genet's theories of the unconscious, founded at the beginning of the 20th century. His own theory is now experiencing a resurgence as they can be scientifically substantiated by modern neuroscientific research. However, the unconscious still remains a relatively abstract theoretical concept removed from our everyday experience. And while modern theories of trauma are informed by theories of the unconscious, such as conceived by Genet, they do not necessarily support the existence of the unconscious itself as originally conceived as an intelligent process, being reduced to latent implicit memory. I propose that one of the barriers to the acknowledgement of the unconscious as a lived reality comes from something more fundamental to our own lived experience, a schizophrenic-like presupposition that encapsulates not just an artificial distinction between mind and body, but in how we fundamentally experience ourselves and the world around us. This split has been at the heart of many Eastern contemplative traditions for thousands of years and has found new life in Varela, Thompson, and Roche's theory of inactive cognition, which I would like to now take a moment to give a brief overview of, before I attempt to propose an embodied view of the unconscious and what this might possibly entail. The traditional view we possess of ourselves and this world that we find ourselves in is typically that of being an inhabitant of a static, predefined universe that we gradually uncover through our own perception. Our senses seem to slowly unveil and reveal a world that is unquestioningly regarded as being predetermined, as something that exists entirely independently of us, and as something that exists out there, waiting to be discovered, regarded as fundamentally beyond ourselves and as something other. Our perception of ourselves seems to be one that lends itself to the sense of being a passive onlooker to the unfolding of our own subjective experience, and as if there's this divide, like an invisible barrier between subject and object, self and other, or yourself and myself, this seemingly unbridgeable and impenetrable distance. 
There is this implicit perception that we are perceiving or interacting with the world and the people and the objects that are seemingly enclosed within it, but somehow from the outside looking in, as if we were alien to it. And the very centre of our perception is the predominant sense of an I, a doer or agent, something that we fundamentally regard as who we really are, which seems to reside somewhere within ourselves, such as within the physical brain or the intangible flux of cascading thoughts, emotions and feelings, unfurl one after the other, without end. Rather than discovering the natural world, an act of cognition radically proposes that our perception instead creatively enacts a world. Or rather that perception, instead of being an exploratory process, which unravels a predefined world before the eyes of a separate beholder, could instead be reconceived as a creative process that co-constructs a world. The world not being wholly predetermined and then represented to us via our perception, but rather that the world that we personally experience is fundamentally empty of any independent existence of its own. And rather than being separate individuals who reside within a world, our existence could instead be reconceived as being interwoven with it, or constituting it, with both self and world co-arising or co-emerging together in unison in a reciprocal relationship, each mutually defining the other, with our existence being fundamentally relational in nature. An active cognition could be encapsulated by several key questions. If we were truly separate from the world, how is it that the physical flesh of our bodies, in which we experience this entire universe through its kaleidoscopic senses, could be continuously constituted by trillions of the same seemingly lifeless and inert particles of matter that comprise the physical nature of this world that we seem to be separate from and we seem to inhabit? How is it that our body and its multifaceted senses, which have evolved over countless eons against the background of nature, emerging out of the same seemingly lifeless and inert matter that I speak of, could somehow be considered distinct from nature? Or in other words, was there a precise point in our evolution where we suddenly became separate or above nature? An active cognition proposes that we are instead embedded within the physical world itself through our bodily existence and its corporeal senses in a process known as structural coupling. And rather than being separate from nature, that we are nature, or could almost be considered akin to an extension of nature that is kaleidoscopically perceiving itself through the sensate awareness of the body. However, in this perceiving, we're not passively receiving information from the world. Parallel to the evolutionary process, which has historically led us from single-celled organisms to the incredibly complex life forms we are today, we are through our perception instead creating and constituting a world moment by moment. One example that Varela, Thompson and Roche used to ground this concept is in terms of the evolution of bees in ultraviolet vision. Bees are able to perceive ultraviolet wavelengths of light, which subsequently allowed them to perceive normally imperceptible patterns and flowers recognisable for pollination. But rather than bees developing the capacity to perceive these patterns through their own evolution, as if these ultraviolet patterns on these flowers had always existed, the patterns on these flowers and the ultraviolet vision of the bees have instead been shown to have co-evolved together due to mutual advantage, making each other more accessible to one another. 
This brief example suggests that the world and perception are not distinct entities, or that the world precedes perception as commonly conceived, but they instead co-emerge together evolutionarily, the world and our perception each mutually defining and shaping each other reciprocally as interdependent processes without a distinctive beginning, middle, or end, existing in a non-linear, circular relationship. Under the theory of an act of cognition, there is no divide between mind and body, as this divide is created from a faulty presupposition of how we perceive the body, as if we were separate from it, insulated from it, like we're observing it through a television screen. Rather, the mind and our sense of self is instead created moment by moment through the sensory capacities of the body and is interwoven with the sensory awareness itself. Our sense of self emerging in relationship to the influx of bodily sensations and our self-reflective thought processes coalescing together in unison, rather than our existence being bound to an isolated entity that is trapped within our very own skulls, only ever perceiving shadows cast from a world forever out of reach, as traditionally depicted. To illustrate this, notice as you're sitting here that in the background of your own awareness that you have a sense of yourself in space and time. You know without thinking about it whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, sitting, standing, or lying down, if you're feeling hot or cold, tired or wide awake. You have a sense of the immediate past, such as the previous day's events, or as to what led you to participate in this presentation. You have a sense of the immediate future, such as what will transpire after this presentation, or about all the things they have to do tomorrow. And you have an immediate sense of who you are, your name, and your historical past. These are just some of the facets of your sense of self that are always, in some capacity, are in the background of your waking consciousness, that are being constituted by the implicit awareness of the body. Now, in phenomenological interpretations of schizophrenia, for instance, such as in the account of my own mother that I spoke about earlier, this implicit bodily awareness breaks down. The individual with untreated or untreatable schizophrenia gradually experiences sensate phenomenon from their own body's implicit awareness not only as inaccessible due to this lack of awareness, but perceives this implicit bodily awareness as an alien force that is intruding into their own conscious awareness from outside of them such as constituting the phenomenon that we refer to as hallucinations, as their own sense of self has become utterly fragmented through this loss of bodily awareness. In other words, they begin to experience aspects of their own mind as external to themselves. So what I'm briefly proposing here today, under the subject of my own research proposal, is that the unconscious creatively manifests itself through the body as an inactive process, and that the unconscious is inactively created through a living split between the sensor awareness of the body and our own conscious awareness. Under the theory of inactive cognition, the cartography of the mind does not just include self-conscious thought, which we normally identify with, but reconceives the sensor awareness of the body as a form of cognition on par with reflective thought, and which gives rise to reflective thought in the first place. And through this, we can see the body as possessing a type of innate intelligence equivalent to the reflective capacities of the mind as the body constitutes the mind itself. This could substantiate the very existence of the unconscious as not just being an abstract theoretical concept, 
the living reality, which is an intimate aspect of our lives when conceived as embodied. What I'm also suggesting is that the self is not singular, but is similar to a multiplicity, such as conceived by Genet's theories or evident in psychiatric diagnoses. As the self cannot be isolated or localized, but can be considered like the mind, a distributed process that arises from the cohesion of the body and the self-reflective elements of the mind in unison, with mental illnesses such as schizophrenia being on the more extreme end of self-division. And rather than seeing symptoms from mental illness like hallucinations as just being the product of a neurochemical imbalance within the brain, we could perhaps see symptoms from mental illness as emanations of the unconscious of an individual's own psyche, and not simply chaotic noise with no personal significance, suggestive of a glitch in a computer. Finally, while Freud originally proclaimed that dreams are the royal road to the unconscious, what I'm describing here is that engaging the body in therapeutic practices aimed at increasing sensory motor and kinesthetic bodily awareness is a potential doorway to direct engagement with the unconscious, or at least aspects of the unconscious. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another iconic podcast. Stay tuned for more. It's always iconic.